Hey guys, wanted to let you know about some big news for the right time with Bomani Jones. Bo is bringing you new podcasts Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That's right, three podcasts a week every week. Fridays are officially hashtag Foxworth Fridays with Dominique Foxworth riding shotgun with Bo. Listen to the right time with Bomani Jones Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Also wanted to let you guys know about ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144. It's executive produced by my friend, ESPN Radio and First Take Her Take podcast host, as well as current WNBA player, Shanae Ogumke. The film takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the league postponed the season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, they set out to play a condensed season entirely in the bubble, where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. 144 will premiere May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. The film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after the premiere. Before we get started today, wanted to let you know about the ESPNW Summit NYC returns this Thursday, May 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern. The virtual event will feature many all-star women in sports, including my conversation. feel weird calling myself an all-star. I am a woman in sports. Anyways, I'm joined by all-stars, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl winning leadership and coaching staff. Join us on Thursday by registering for free at nyc.espnwsummit.com. Welcome to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts hears the word schedule release and thinks it's about getting taken out to pee three times a day. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined today by two guests. Yes, folks, we are back to having multiple guests because there's just so much to talk about right now in May. Um, no, my second guest who will join me later on is someone who's been on the show for who I'm sure many of you know. Michael Ryan Ruiz. I don't know why I'm saying all three of his names in that way, but it's Mike Ryan um, of the Levitard Show, noted Cleveland Browns fan. We're going to talk about the Browns and all the hype around them and some of the top teams at the top of the AFC. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some of the top teams in the NFC, including possibly if they're able to retain their MVP quarterback, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and, and who better to do that than a guy who's never been on my show before, but I, I felt like I had to have him on explicitly to drive the knife in on this particular topic. It is Justice Mosqueda. He is a football writer and podcaster. He covers, he's going to cover the Packers for SB Nation. He is, don't hold this against him, friends with Charles McDonald. They used to have a podcast together for a long time. Welcome to the show, Justice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you have all my friends on your show. I was waiting to get the tap on the shoulder to let me on. but I know. I had to wait until the perfect time. And what better time than to talk about the potential doom? What What is your like like threat level internally right now as it pertains to Aaron Rodgers Gate and your beloved Green Bay Packers? Uh, I've said this since, you know, the day of the draft. People ask me and I'm mm-hmm. like, like one to ten scale. And they say, yeah. And I say eleven. Ooh, so. <laughs> I like that. I love that. I mean, he, he's just wired in a way, you know, where I think that if his mind is made up, his mind is made up. And that's you belong on debate shows with me if you're able to keep it at an 11, because we're in week three of this, Justice. And like the case of Rodgers versus the Green Bay Packers is we're at the point now where like the jury, they all know each other too well. They've been in a room for too long. They're tired of the snacks. They want to get back to their regular lives and use the internet. Um, and 
I don't know what well, we do know when this is probably going to come to a close because, or not, not a close, but um, it was inevitable likely that the Packers weren't going to do the trade. If there is going to be a trade this year until after June 1st, so that they could spread Rogers dead money, which is about $38 million over two seasons uh, this year. I think it would be 17, no 21 this year and 17 next. Um, but then beyond that mandatory mini camp, for the Packers starts mid-June, and that's when Rodgers will or will not report. So I think we'll probably have a good idea by then if he's going to be a Green Bay Packer in 2021, correct? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, when bull, bullets are live and decisions have to be made and you have to start deciding, like, are we going to give all these reps to Jordan Love? I mean, the Packers, they just worked out two quarterbacks on a trial basis in their rookie camp, but they only have two quarterbacks on their roster right now. So if they try to have a practice this very second, Jordan Love would be the only arm. They'd have to sign another guy. Like you just functionally cannot have a practice with one quarterback in the room. You know what about what are they calling him? Terrific Tim Tim Boyle. Terrific. He's uh, a lion now. He's a lion. He's the enemy. Wait, whoa, he's not. <laughs> Bomani Jones revealed something to me um, during today's taping of Highly Questionable, which is that Tim Bo- or maybe Charlie revealed it, but Tim Boyle's. Stat line in college was like one touchdown, a 13 interception, something like that. I didn't believe, and it seemed fake when he told me. I know he was undrafted, but does it concern you at all? This goes beyond Rodgers that Jordan Love didn't suit up last year. Yeah, if you if you go to Google Images and you type in Jordan Love Packers and you hit images, you can't find him in a picture in a green jersey. You can't do it because he never put one on. He was never active for game day. So it's always just red jerseys and photoshops. You know what I mean? So I I really do worry about that. And, you know, people talk about developing on the bench. I don't know how much development was going on in this past year with, you know, everyone having to do all this installs and stuff like that virtually. Devontae Adams gave a quote today or yesterday, rather. He was on the herd, I believe, and said he had talked a bit to Rogers and was like appropriately vague, but supportive. Um, You know, just like, I think he said, yeah, yeah, there's, I think he used the word respect and alluded to things not being done by the club for certain players. It was like very, actually it was very well done by Devante compared to um, Justin Jefferson, who just came out and said, Kirk Cousins has less swag than Joe Burrow today. Don't know if you caught that. There's a piece of good news for your NFC North, Uh, but um, there, then that triggered some concern because Devontae Adams is going into the final year. His contract, I pointed out today on NFL Live, well, Devontae Adams has never been tagged. So, you know, the Packers have two years, really, of roster control. And I simply don't believe Devontae Adams, he was, you know, he said, oh, it's going to have to factor into my decision making. When the Green Bay Packers show up with a $100 million check, he's not going to say no. I, I, I just... I don't. I wouldn't worry about that. I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to be nice to you and like bring down your threat level a little bit, but that <laughs> at least Devonte Adams is not something to be concerned about. Well, I think it's interesting with Devonte Adams, uh, David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith, those type of guys who are you know coming off of their basically like second contracts and kind of ring chasing. You know, you kind of see how that's kind of the mold of the NFL athlete right now, right? You get your rookie contract, you sign your second contract, and then after that, you know, if you're still around that's when you're in ring chase mode. I under, I don't know how much that would change expectations for them and like actually want them to want to leave Green Bay, but all three of those guys can get their deals redone. Rodgers might have to get his deal redone. Jair Alexander's contract is coming up. I understand the cap's going up, 
too. So maybe this mm. is just a big old, you know, leverage play where it's, you know, hey, if you want me to re-sign in, in you know, the offseason in 2021, you're going to have to come to me with a lot of money if you're giving me uncertain signals on if Aaron Rodgers is going to be here throughout that contract. Um, maybe that's something that's happening. But they are in an interesting spot where a lot of big names are are coming up and they're going to have to pay the piper at some point. Um, I think the Packers in the future – and maybe this is what they're trying to avoid with the with the Aaron Rodgers situation and and giving him more money is, you know, it kind of looks like it's going to be like kind of a stars and scrubs type of roster makeup, mm. um, almost like the Atlanta Falcons, where, you, you know, you have like five massive names. And then because you have those five massive names and they're all veterans and they're all making money, you have to fill out the rest of the roster with draft picks and undrafted free agents. But the Falcons restructured Matt Ryan's contract to push more money out into the future, which I think was probably the first sign that they were not going to take a quarterback right this year because they would have had to sit him for a couple of years behind Matt Ryan. And with Green Bay, one would think, OK, if we if we have to pay all of these guys at some point, including Devonte Adams, because he's probably going to make, you know, like 20 million dollars a year or whatever. And some of the other players um, you mentioned, well, maybe we'll do a Rogers deal that and then we can push some of his money even further out depending on how we structure the Adams contract. I guess they have there's been reports that they've made overtures towards Rodgers on that front which suggests that it's this might not if that's true and that's a big if by the way then this might not be about money for him. Right, but I think that one of the biggest things that becomes an issue especially with the NFL and how contracts are are structured right now, especially now in the era where everyone's adding these fake years at the end of deals, right? Um, is what is what does that contract actually look like? Like until we get the details of what that contract actually looks like, it's really hard to say. Like you could say he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in football. Well, that doesn't necessarily tell you how the long term job security is structured in that. In that, you know, with the leverage dead cap against what he would be making, etc. Um, that that's my biggest question because. I think what he's looking at is he's looking at, you know, Tampa now, New England, then um, Pittsburgh and New Orleans, you know, teams that are leveraging the future heavily to keep a title run open right now. And I think that that's what he wants. Whereas Green Bay is looking at, you know, sustainability and that transition of power. Once it is time to get rid of Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers, they're, they're valuing that more than trying to push for a title run this very second. And it seems like, that's really what he wants, right? I mean, J- Jason Light was a guy who traded up in the second round for a kicker who ended up as being a bust, and that guy just came off of winning a Super Bowl, right? And why yeah. is it? Because they got Tom Brady in the room, because they, they kicked this money into the future, and because they got people who wanted to play with Tom Brady in the room and wanted to chase that ring. Oh. And I think he's kind of seeing that a little bit and seeing, and saying to himself, like, why can't I have that? I think a lot of these quarterbacks, the way that they're wired, they all, for some reason, think that they're going to have that John Elway ending, but they don't realize that like John Elway is the only person who's been able to retire on top. Right. Um, well, and and I, I, it just messes up expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look at the 2021 Saints, right? Like this, that's right. a team that did go all in and here they are now and Drew Brees is gone and they're picking up the pieces a little bit. I mean, they're still like a decent team, but they're they're now shedding all of the stars that they tried to keep on their roster. Um, and and. The Bucks, it's really instructive, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think some people, to me, if Rodgers is to look at the Bucks and Russell Wilson, by the way, I would put in the same camp this summer, he came out and said it, and think, man, I really want what Brady has. You, you isolated something important, which 
it wasn't what the Bucks had when Brady joined the Bucks. It's what the Bucks did this offseason to me that if I was Aaron Rodgers, I would look askance at my own team. Like Roger Brady, he joined when the, he joined the Bucks, they were already an extremely good football team. The only pieces they added were like Gronk, which was a weird, you know, bizarro situation. And then Antonio Brown, who was out of the league because he had been accused of sexual assault, amongst other things. Um, so it's more so that in this offseason, like you just said, the Bucks did all these weird, bizarro contracts to keep their players, and they're going to pay for it at some point. But they said, we have Tom Brady. We are in our peak. We're going to bring back everyone he wants. And we have some players who are going to take, you know, smallish discounts to play with him. That is what Green Bay has decidedly not done. That's what Seattle hasn't done. That's what very few teams do. I think the Saints, you could say the Saints maybe did it. And I think my, that to me, my question is to you, like, what do you think Green Bay should have done differently? Like setting aside the love. Well, no, bring that in, bring that in. like. If you were running the Packers, I, I realize hindsight is 2020. Like, what do you think was the big mistake here in terms of roster construction and how they've approached the draft that's led them to this situation? I don't think they necessarily have a bad roster. Um, you know, the secondary is a little suspect. At, at, yeah, at cornerback, it's a little bit of an issue. I, I think it's more just they're running this team back. I mean, it, it's really not that different from Tampa, right? They're basically running the same team back. Their biggest moves this offseason were re-signing Kevin King and restructuring Preston Smith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not doing anything to get over that hump, right? You could have played games with uh, Rodgers' cap situation, Devontae's cap situation, Bakhtiari's cap situation, Zadarius's cap situation, and cleared up some cap space to add some guys. Now, who those yes. guys might have been, who knows? Um, but, but you could have done something to add more time. Maybe you bring back Corey Lindsley who didn't even get an offer from the Packers winning a free agency. Right. He, he admitted that. That's one that jumps um, out to me or like a linebacker, like KJ, right? Like why not try to bring in someone like him? I don't know. Or a rando wide receiver. Like, um, you know, like there's guys getting less than $10 million out there. I feel like could have been their wide receiver two or three. Right. Exactly. Like there's, there's guys who hit free agency this year who could have been starters on this team. They could have gotten a better, yeah. Right. They could have they could have gotten you know a better corner than Kevin King or something like that. Right. So it's not necessarily that like they have bad roster construction as much as it's like what are their priorities and do they feel any urgency to kind of keep this title run open? Mm. I think is kind of the question. Do you think that's more of an issue than the 2020 draft? And I'm saying 2020 draft because I'm including both Jordan Love and AJ Dillon in this. Um, I mean the, the, the. the Packers drafted two backups in 2020. They have a, a Super Bowl contending roster. Granted, they didn't know at the time their quarterback was going to improve or you know bounce back. They drafted two guys who are now backups on this team. Like, do you think that's a bigger issue or the fact that they didn't go all in the way you and I are describing? I think it's the all in thing. But I do really? think. I mean, when when you dra- when you draft Jordan Love, I mean, that obviously creates some sort of issues, right? <laughs> when when you have a guy staring down your job from behind and every time he takes a rep in practice, you're standing right there watching him take those reps. Right. Um, I think that definitely has an impact on this, but I really do think it's like the title contending thing. Cause like green Bay a few years ago before Gutekunst, you got to remember Ted Thompson, like wasn't signing free agents, you know, that's just kind of how that team is yeah. built. Is there their, their, like development um, sustainability and stuff like that. But I just don't know. Like we've seen this in the NBA, right? 
no one's really trying to model the San Antonio Spurs in terms of like, we want to be a sustainable team that is just like in the playoff hunt all the time. They're grabbing stars and they're trying to put it together and they're basically designating a title run. And I think that we're kind of seeing that drip into the NFL. And I think that he's kind of seeing that and saying, wait, why are we doing it this way right. when this is totally different than, you know, the situation Favre was in, um, you know, 17 years ago. Or whatever. It's just so hard to build. I mean, look, the New England Patriots, like once you lose your quarterback, the chances of you going from even an Alex Smith to a Patrick Mahomes are so rare in the NFL that you're going to find the guy. Um, so it's like, is it really worth it to get out early? You know what I mean? And take, cause you're taking a risk. Um, yes. You're taking a risk by staying with someone and, and maybe a year too late, but it's not less of a risk to take a young guy, especially one like Jordan Love, who was not, you know, like a coming like from a big program type um, he wasn't a sure thing by any means. There's a reason he was available to the backers then. Um, let, let me ask you this about Jordan Love. How did you feel at the time when they drafted him? Because again, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like I said on, on our show the other day, like I was like, well, the Packers bet on Aaron Rodgers declining and they bet wrong. And people took that to mean I was saying the Packers were absolutely wrong. And that's not actually what I meant because I'm a process over results person. I was just saying, this is what happened. Like at the time, I think the pick was totally defensible. I don't think... If it's true that they didn't tell him, I think that's really dumb. <laughs> I'll just say that. I don't know why they did that, if that's the case. But taking a quarterback, given Rodgers' age and the things that happened in his career before then, was not a crazy thing to do. I don't think that I would have turned in that pick. And I know, you know, the the year before, um, they had flirted with drafting Drew Locke in the second round, I believe. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it wouldn't have been a surprise to me to see him turn in the pick for a quarterback. I just think, you know, Roger or I thought Rodgers had more in the tank than his stat line showed in 2019. Yeah. Um, so it was more of like fake shock, I guess. Just just the realization that like, oh, this might be a thing that is coming to an end, I guess, was more of my feeling than anything. But to your previous point where you were talking about risks. Right. And I think this is probably one of the most important points that people don't think about when we think about these decisions we should be thinking about these decisions through the perspective of job security always so if you're brian gutekunst right and we're, we're talking about you know there's a risk at le- letting him leave early or leave late but if brian gutekunst is a 47 year old general manager in the league and he's not thinking about this job as a three-year job he's thinking about this as a i could be here for 20 year job then of course you're going to preach sustainability right? You, you wouldn't go all in. Um, so I, I, I just think that the way this team operates is very different than a lot of different programs in the league. Right. Well, there's no owner screaming at you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Mark Murphy's buddies with everyone. You're talking with him every day because the general manager and head coach report directly to him. So um, just so last year, the 2020 draft, you know, everybody kind of freaked out. I think the Packers pick was like the story of the draft. This year in the first round, they surprised some people in a draft that was like pretty chalky. I think the distribution of players was surprising, but most of the players who went in the first round were ones that were kind of earmarked for the first round. Um, the Packers took a cornerback, Eric Stokes out of Georgia, who I'd seen mocked me mostly in the second Um 
you know, I, I'd, I'd watched him. Actually, I was watching him because at first I wanted to watch the other corner, Campbell, Tyson Campbell, because I thought he might fall to, the, to Seattle. Uh, and I then I kind of heard people kind of, there was some heat gathering behind him because of his speed and his upside. Um, but when I watched him with, you know, in, in games, I, you know, I don't, I, I actually don't remember how he did at his pro day. I guessing, I'm guessing really good, but um, I wasn't super impressed justice. Like I, you could see how I mean, he's, he's big and he's fast, um, but he didn't look particularly pro ready to me um, actually jumped out at me and getting beat a couple times. So I, I would, I'm curious, like what was your reaction to that pick? We, we thought the Packers might take a corner or go wide receiver. They waited until the third round to take Amari Rogers to pick that. I, and a lot of, I think other people really liked for the offense, but how did you feel about the Stokes pick and then the Packers draft uh, like more largely? Yeah, I, I kind of came away with the same thoughts that you had. When I watched the film UGA, um, he's a long corner. He has deep speed. He's not a very quick guy, um, which makes me think that he's probably an outside-only guy. The The thing that I think that revealed more than anything is that Jair might be playing that star nickel role, right? Really? In Joe Barry's defense. Yeah, because really Jair was their left corner, right? And then Shannon Sullivan would play in the slot. But with Joe Barry's defense, if he's really going to run that pattern match stuff that the Rams were doing, you need to have a stud in the slot. That's where they play Jalen Ramsey a lot. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jair mm-hmm. plays in the slot a whole lot more than he ever has in his career. Um, and those two guys are the outside guys, him and Kevin King. Because uh, I... they're just longer, deep speed. You know, that translates better on the in the boundary than you know being quick on the inside like Jair is and he's a hell of a run defender too so I don't think that would be an issue for him yeah I'm not, I'm not so sure Joe Barry is I mean I, I don't know if he's given interviews to that effect but just from, based on what they did with in Los Angeles before Brandon Staley um mm. came to town I'm not sure that he, I mean I guess if he was like very influenced by the success that they had with that system and how they used Jalen Ramsey I could see that but um you know be, Definitely. I mean, we're talking about a little bit older guy with a long career. Before right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it is a weird situation. He has alluded to that, though, which, which is the he? nice okay. thing. Interesting. It, it was nice, too, that they offered, uh, what's his name, Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator uh, at the college level, I believe, for Wisconsin before they landed oh, on him, too. So, you know, you know, they were kind of looking at those kind of new level defenses. And I think that's how they're going to transition to, because I know a lot of people, you know, there's, there's, there was a switch from Dom Capers to Mike Pettin, you know, structurally, but at the end of the day, it was always, we're going to have light boxes. We're going to send blitzes from everywhere. And, you know, our guys are basically going to be in one-on-one coverage, which is very different than what the Rams did, where they're basically bracketing guys and double covering guys to make sure um, that guys aren't open. Um, which is a really cool way to do it and is what modern defense looks like at the college level. So I'm excited to kind of see that at the NFL level. But it's what the Rams did last year. (laughs) Right. But um Exactly. Yeah. No, no. Um Ramina the Rams expert barreling in here. Um yeah, I I, that that that's an interesting you know, like I said, positionally it made a lot of sense. The fact that they went cornerback, center, wide receiver. I mean, it was kind of like comical that the Aaron Rodgers news breaks on a Thursday and then the Packers don't take a receiver again. But um, I, I really like the fit of, I like the value of Amari Rodgers, the Clemson wide receiver. They got him in the third round. And again, like I like 
the fit for him. So for those who uh, haven't watched the other A. Rogers, um, he is not the biggest guy, but he's speedy and, and really strong. Um, again, Clemson offense, not a very diverse route tree. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I think that was the question I and a lot of other people had going to the NFL is like, okay, what is going to be his role in an NFL offense? How are you going to have to um, manufacture touches for him? And great, he ended up in an offense with a coordinator who loves to manufacture touches for short, weird, fast guys. And so I think it makes a ton of sense, um, especially given how much motion the Packers use. Uh, and, and it's a really nice fit with Adams. I still think they could use, you know, like a true number two. I mean, I like Alan Lazard. I just, I feel like there's like a little bit of an inconsistency there, but as another weapon in this offense, he makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, he makes a ton of sense. And the thing that I'll say about the Lazard point, I don't know if Lazard is back next year with, with how they structured that wide receiver room. Really? You, know, you kind of, you, well, you need MVS to be the guy who's taking the top mm. off the defense. Mm. So then it becomes a question of like, can we play Amari Rogers and, um, and Lazard at the same time? And I think that's where the big question marks start, especially mm. when you have a tight end like uh, Tanyan or Tanyan. Um, who's more of an athletic Tanyan like Funyan. I don't know why he didn't say onion. Yeah. He, he said Tanyan like Funyan, but anyways, sir. Um, he's more of an athletic receiver. Who's not necessarily like a true why, like yeah. when they, when they run the ball, they still bring Mercedes Lewis off the bench. You know what I mean? So when, when you have that, that would be playing very small ball to have those guys out there and then also have Lazard out there while also not having speed if MV, MVS is on the bench. Dude, That's Tanya, kind of a tough way to play football. Tanyan's good, by the way. I really – I was good. I was defending the um, Packers roster because, you know, whenever the Rodgers thing comes up, everyone's like, they haven't picked any good skill players. I'm like, actually, they have a number one wide receiver in the NFL and one of the best offensive lines, if not the best line, and a number one running back. And then I was like, in, instead of going straight – to I, I skipped over Adams and I was like, and Robert Tunyon's good. And everyone's like, the hell? Like you're really using Robert Tunyon to defend the roster? But as someone who randomly picked Robert Tunyon in Dynasty and w- had way too much invested in his touchdown total last year, that dude can run routes. Like it's not just the offense. He's and him being wide open. Like he's actually like a pretty good route runner. And um they really landed on something special with him. Um Listen, I, I don't want to play the whole like how's this going to play out game because as you said, it really just all comes down to how strong Rogers' level of conviction is. So let me ask you. So either Rogers is going to come back or he's not. I don't know. You and I don't know. Let me ask you this. What would be a realistic and acceptable trade haul to you as a Packers fan? So if he doesn't come back, like what to, what to, in your mind would be something that could happen so don't throw out something crazy but that would be okay. So this really becomes a question of are the Packers in the quarterback market or is Jordan love their next guy? Right. Cause my answer would change. He's gotta be right. Well, okay. if would you bet that Derek Carr would be a better quarterback than Jordan love right now? Again, Jordan love who, if you go to Google images, only red jerseys, he hasn't thrown a pass for Green Bay in the preseason or regular season, hasn't dressed down for a game, went through development virtually as as a rookie. You know, I, I'd probably bet on Derek Carr there, right? So like Derek Not Carr. Not enough and- people are talking about the Derek Carr, Devontae Adams 
reunion. Fresno State. <laughs> Fresno yeah. State. Um, Fresno State. Yeah. They yeah, played I, in I mean, an awful offense back then, too. If you watch that USC game, I remember it's just screen passes over and over and over. It's funny because Derek Carr, like, definitely would be better than Jordan Love, and yet Packers fans would be so angry because we know who Derek Carr is. And, like, at least with Jordan Love, there's like the we don't know, like, potential, right? right. Like, so. I don't know. Just tell me what you, you what you'd want. <laughs> yeah, I'd 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 need Derek Carr in three ones. That's what I would need to to feel okay. If we're talking about you know Denver or the Raiders, right? As, have, as landing spots, those are the best assets. I feel. Would like. you rather have Derek Carr in three ones or Jerry Judy in three ones? Derek Carr, because he plays quarterback. He, I know, he's, but he's going to make so, more so of a you're, difference. So you're really not by. You're like. Jordan Love, like you. I know. haven't seen him play since at Utah State against oh. Mountain West defenses. Yeah. What am I supposed to do, Mina? It's tough. It's tough <laughs> Red jerseys there. on Google Images. I, okay. I, we, we got nothing. Counterpoint, Aaron Rodgers and the Broncos would be much more entertaining for me personally. So I think you should accept my Broncos offer. <laughs> um, for you, yeah, for you, okay. Okay. Right. Well, okay, so – I, I mentioned we're going to power rank the ASC teams. So obviously, or probably the NFC teams, this is wildly variable depending on um, what happens with Rodgers. So let's power rank them, assuming Aaron Rodgers stays with Green Bay, which you you seem, you're at an 11 out of 10. I don't think it's a sure thing by any means that he's getting traded. I, I don't know, but I don't know. I just think, we'll see. Um if Rodgers is still on the Packers, who give me an order, your top five, and then I'll tear it down. Okay. One, one to five, I'd say Tampa one. Yes. Um, they just won a Super Bowl. I don't know if guys, anyone saw that, but they're running that team back. It happens. Uh, Green Bay two. This seems pretty chalky at this point, and that's really off of like the strength of, you know, Rodgers just came off of an MVP season. Um, three, I would have the Rams, your Rams. Your mm. Los Angeles Rams. I also have the um, answer three, even with the yeah. loss of legend Joe Barry. But yeah, <laughs> I just think St- Stafford's going to be able to do a lot more. Stafford's going to be do be able to do a lot more stuff than Goff is. Let, I don't let's think hit people- pause on the Rams though for a second. I was okay. thinking about the Rams. I, so we're the same right now. I have Bucks, Packers, Rams. My concern about the Rams is you talked about the Stars and Scrubs rosters. They are like an injury away from from plummeting in my rankings. Like. um I was surprised. So they took Tutu Atwell, the tiny wide receiver, mm-hmm. at, which kind of made sense because they obviously they wanted downfield threat for Stafford, and we no one thinks Deshaun Jackson's going to play a whole season. Um, but they didn't take an offensive lineman, and last year they only took one in the seventh round. Andrew Whitworth is like 82, still really good. Um, the guys they drafted in 2019 are now starters. Like There is no depth on that offensive line, so... Again, I really, I'm really high on the Rams as well, but losing them, losing both like the John Johnson and Troy Hill to Cleveland, this is what happens when you have this sort of roster where you've got a bunch of guys, like a few guys making a lot of money is all of a sudden not a lot of depth. And the Rams have been lucky enough or skillful enough rather to hit on some picks in the later rounds. Uh, Darius Williams to the corner who's a, who was a restricted free agent has been great and he's there for a year, but um, if they lose any of these guys, it it gets ugly. That's all I have to say about the Rams. Right. I just think that Stafford just brings such a different dynamic to them as a quarterback. I don't think people realize necessarily how limited Goff was when they got into the shotgun. 
which is so weird for a quarterback who came out of an air raid system in college <laughs> that he basically has to be played under center. But anytime they got into, you know, second and long, third and long situations, he just didn't bring anything to the table. And I thought that Tutu pick was crazy. I mean, we're talking about 140 pound wide receiver. That, that might have been the first dude. pick ever made in the NFL based off of a player's ability to run a jet sweep. That's crazy. He's that we're at that point in the league. Small, like small, yeah. small. So I um, also, I would say linebacker a little bit. I mean, a little bit of a question mark there still. I didn't really love the Leonard Floyd contract. I still have them at number three. I'm just, you know, being a skeptic. All right, four. The San Francisco 49ers. Boo. Big comeback. Is that too high for you? Too high for you? It guys? is too high for me, even though I think I think they have the highest upside in the NFC West. But I, I mean, you know, Trey Lance averaged 18 yards per attempt against um, like, you know, it what, what were Fresno State, like Fresno Valley State. Like, I don't know. Who, <laughs> I, I, I do know he played watching. I, I just can't go there yet. I just can't yet. I also I don't think he might not play, you know? Um I could see them holding on to Jimmy for a minute. And the secondary. Know. I don't know how much they like Jimmy. That secondary's got issues. Yeah, they've yeah, that secondary's had issues for a while. I just think, you know, that 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 box is so good defensively. Um their offensive line situation is sorted out. Alex Mack, every time Alex Mack enters a room, he changes what that offensive line is able to do. Yeah. I really do think he's he's kind of unsung in terms of how much influence he has as an offensive lineman. Like, I don't think Atlanta does what they did in 2016 without Alex Mack, right? Like, he, he means that much. I know that because um, I had an entire uh, Alex Mack story written at halftime of the Super Bowl, and I was like, great, this, is, this bad boy is done, ready to rip. Thanks a lot, New England. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much, Kyle Shanahan, speaking of San Francisco. Um, yeah, didn't they, in, the interior of the offensive line was the issue, and then not only did they sign Mack, I know I remember they, they drafted the Notre Dame kid in the second or third round, second round, Aaron Banks, right? Um, yep. So add a little bit of depth there. No, the, the Niners are great. I think they'll be very good. I The nine, NFC West is just awful. It's just it's a it's a gauntlet. I'm really happy my team isn't in the NFC West because all of those teams are just ready to contend basically right now outside of maybe Arizona. Horrible. Okay, number five, the Seattle Seahawks. So three, four, and five are the NFC West. Wow. Wow. Okay. What what do you what do you do you think the Seahawks would be better or worse than last year? (sighs) I think they'll have to be better because they're just going to have to find answers in their passing game, yeah. right? They're going to have to, they're going to have to figure something out. The one thing I wanted to ask you about specifically is that wide receiver room. It's a weird combo of wide receivers because they're all vertical guys. And I understand yeah. people are like, yeah, they're vertical guys. They're going to run play action and they're going to hit you over the top, but you can't do that every passing play and Metcalf, Lockett, Eskridge. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Eskridge, but Eskridge basically played in, you know, that Baylor, type of system yeah um out western michigan where you're not running real routes you know it's you're you're running you're you're reading a cornerback's leverage and then running into space and then the quarterback's just kind of putting the ball into an area i think there is hope that they'll one tyler Lockett will be healthier that was kind of an underrated storyline last year he was a little bit banged up on and off and that they'll sort of with this new off so they have speaking of the rams shane walter is now their offensive coordinator and you know the the seahawks were very open about the fact that the offense 
was a bit stale and they weren't making adjustments in the second half of the season. And that's the whole thing, by the way, this team, everything, if they're a contender or not, whether they can, you know, vie with the likes of the Rams, the Niners, it all comes down to, can they solve the problems that their offense couldn't solve last year at the passing game in particular and cover two It's crazy, right? So, um, to me, it really depends on you, you kind of hit on it is can the can the wide receivers, the existing ones, and they also added Gerald Everett, who I think is a sneaky, impactful addition. I think the lack of um tight end protection down the stretch really hurt them on this front as well. Can they diversify their pass game with the players that they have? Um, because they didn't make a ton of changes to the offensive line outside of uh, trading for Gabe Jackson. Um, they did draft Stone Forsyth, uh, who is like weirdly the pick that everyone's the happiest about. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's, it, it's, it's, it's almost more about Waldron and Wilson than it is about everyone else in my mind. Um, and then on defense, you know, they, they brought back Carlos Dunlap. They signed, uh, Kerry Hyder, who's very sneakily decent in San Francisco last year, Jamal Adams will hopefully be healthy. Um, and corner is a big question mark on this team. Drafted a guy. But, you know, I, Richard Sherman's still out there, speaking of both the Niners and the Seahawks. I think that's a name to keep an eye on. Um, but, it, yeah, that's going to go a long way towards, I think, not not Richard Sherman, but those questions, I suppose, will go a long way towards determining which of these NFC West teams, the order in which they finish, because I really think they could finish in any order. It's It's – post-apocalyptic i always say in at, in the nfc west all right i actually didn't i put the niners out because i just i i don't know i gotta see it with the quarterback first even though i'm i as i've said i'm terrified of the pick uh i had danny kelly on the pod last week and we both said the same thing which we were like no when they picked trey lance which we're seahawks fans so niners you should feel great about that um i was torn between for the five spot three teams the niners can you guess the two other teams you like Chicago? Do you like what Chicago's doing? No, I did say Okay. I do think Chicago's best case is like kind of the twenty twelve Seahawks. Um God, I make it sound like I only think about the Seahawks. But no. I I'm that's another one where it's like, oh God, the offensive line and Yeah, that that makes sense. Um I yeah, I, Chicago probably would have been in the conversation for me. Uh Dallas? So I have Dallas question mark, Washington question mark. And I think Washington, let's go. Washington (laughs) arguably has the best defense outside of Tampa. And all they need is average quarterback play to be significantly better than they were last year. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're going to have peaks and valleys, but maybe that'll, you know, average out towards average. Uh, whereas the exact opposite is true with Dallas, right? Like they just need average defensive play <laughs> to be right. better than they were last year. And like, I don't, I think there's still tons of holes on that defense and I love Dan Quinn, but you know, I don't have a ton of faith in their ability to make a massive leap. But like I said, they don't need to make a massive leap. Like when you were watching that Dallas team last year, I mean, it was insanity watching them on defense. Like it felt like you were watching guys who didn't practice or something. I don't, it was just bizarre. So competence is the baseline um, that we're like looking for in Dallas. And I really do believe like uh, 
let me ask you this. Like, if Dallas has an average defense, aren't they a top five team in the NFC? Yeah, just off of quarterback play alone and how good that offensive line is. It's it's just so weird that, you know, the week before the draft, they were talking about, we're not just going to play base and play zone. And then in the draft, they draft a big end in Chauncey Golston. They draft two linebackers in Mika Parsons and Jabril Cox after they already have Leighton Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, and they're going to play Keanu Neal at will. And they draft two long corners. Yeah, they draft two long corners in Kelvin Joseph and Nashawn Wright. And I'm like, you are building this team like you're just going to play cover three base with three linebackers. And you're telling us you're not. And I just... So Either your personnel department doesn't know what your plans are or your coaching staff doesn't know what your plans are because this doesn't seem to be connecting. Uh, yeah, maybe they're the 2012 Seahawks, not the Bears, that sounds like. Um, <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break and then answer a few questions from listeners. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. As always, guys, thank you so much for leaving your lovely iTunes reviews. Really, they make my day reading them. They're so thoughtful. And I haven't gotten to questions in a while, but you know what? Let's get to some questions now. Um, I've got a great guest who can help me come up with some good answers in justice. Okay, this is a long question. Um, it's from Ben J. Arms, and it is about the Bengals. And talks about how there's been a lot of criticism for the bang- of the Bengals for taking Jamar Chase over... Panay Sewell. Um, now that the draft is in the books, do you feel like the Bengals did enough to address the O-line, signing Riley Ray from the picks? Or will Joe Burrow spend the whole next year on his back again? Should they have taken Sewell over Waddle? Con- um, pardon me, uh, Chase. Considering that they already have Parker and Fuller. Oh, should the Dolphins have taken Sewell over Waddle? Yes. I, that, to me, is the more divisive one. but Because I... I Chase, I feel like I've heard good. So the, with the Bengals, I, I I really want to hear what you think. I think that you can make an argument for Chase or Sewell. Ultimately, I would have taken Sewell, but I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's crazy that they went with Jamar Chase. I think Dolphins should have taken Sewell after he fell into their lap, and that I I'm surprised more people aren't saying. It feels like the Dolphins haven't been criticized for that. Do am I wrong? Oh, I, I think you're right. And I think it's kind of interesting, too, when they switched up their offensive line situation right before the draft. I mean, they dra- they they could have bumped Robert Hunt in from tackle to guard, where he basically played as, you know, in college. And then they could have had Sewell there and just locked up their offensive line. I, I think Sewell probably should have been the pick at either one. I think the interesting thing with Cincinnati is how they're run as a franchise in general. Everyone mm-hmm. knows, you know, they're kind of cash broke and stuff like that. Where how much was this Jamar Chase pick to build equity with Joe Burrow for, you know, them building the program into <laughs> their second and third contracts? And the fact that that has to be a conversation with their fifth overall pick where they have uh, to think about that kind of stuff, right? Big brain, big brain stuff. Um, I mean, God, there's, they got some time until Joe Burrow's. Has to decide whether to pay him. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I heard from Justin Jefferson that Joe Burrow has a lot of swag more than Kirk Cousins, so you might be right. Um, <laughs> okay, Chuck Atlas wants me to rank the quarterbacks one through thirty-two. Chuck, I am going to do the um, QB draft with Nate Tice sometime in the coming weeks, so I will do that then. We will draft quarterbacks again. I actually want to go back and see how we drafted them last year. See how dumb we were. Um, Drgo ninety-six. Oh, this is pre-draft. Steelers question. The rumors are pretty confidently saying the Steelers are going to draft Najee Harris. Can you make me excited for this pick, given how terrible this O-line is right now? Oh, I want to say something nice. I mean, I Uh-oh. we like Najee Harris, the <laughs> player. I think he's an awesome running back. He was my RB1. I loved watching him. And I will say this. Um, something that jumped out to me just as watching Alabama tape was, like, I know that the Bama offensive line is really good and, like, Najee – obviously had better run blocking than Travis Etienne. But even with that caveat, I still think he was better at turning negatives into positives and erasing blown blocks and um, being creative. And so, gosh, he's going to have to do that a lot in Pittsburgh. But I was really impressed by um, Najee Harris as like both an all-around back, but his ability – to get north south even in adverse situations was really impressive to me. I agree. I just still think, you know, they they lost some underrated guys too like Filer who went to uh the Chargers. Yes. And at the end of the day, if you're trying to improve a run game, probably the two worst ways to do it would be adding the running back and a tight end who is in a special blocker, right? That you you would have made more of a dent in a running game if you would have spent those picks on offensive linemen. Um, and that really is what makes it hard for me to kind of digest this and think, yeah, the Steelers are, you know, these picks are going to be what turns the Steelers around. You have to be positive. Were you listening to the question he wanted? Uh, I know, but I, I can't. I can't. It's a tough scene. It is. Yep. Um, DeCastro's okay. <laughs> he is. Um, DeCastro is a really good guard. I, I, the problem is you need five guys to block. They like uh, on the um, offensive line at the end. Dotson, of the Dotson, I, I, they like him. All right, last question. Ooh, this is long. Lil Skittles. Uh, okay, so Lil Skittles. I'm going to try to summarize this. Says, you know, obviously people talk about how you shouldn't pay running backs after their big contracts. Bad idea most of the time. Coming off the. Um, what I'm wondering is, is it worth it to pay wide receivers big money for their second or third contracts? Obviously, their production doesn't fall off but they seem to be replaceable. I feel like that money would be better spent on defense or O-line. Um, big reason is over the last 20, 25 years, how many of the Super Bowl winners had wide receivers making top five to 10 money? Seems like not many. I should have looked this up beforehand. Um, with all the talent in recent years at wide receiver in rounds one, two, three, would teams be better up re-upping at wide receiver? Yeah, just we should just take no one, pay no one ever. Um, give all the money to the quarterback. No, um, I I don't think so. I think with wide receivers in the aging curve, uh, you're able to get. You know, I I don't have the figures in front of me about when wide receivers peak, but I think um, you're able to get good enough production from them in their second contract to where it's still worth it relative to a rookie deal and the uncertainty of the draft. Yeah. I think it really comes down to traits for how I would answer that question. Um, because like a player, like a, 
Odell Beckham Jr. or a Julio mm. Jones are obviously worth it. But once we get to, you know, should you break the bank for Robert Woods? How, how different is Robert Woods from, you know, Alan Lazard, who's basically, you know, not getting paid anything or MVS, who was found day three of the draft, right? We, we just talked about those guys. With Aaron Rod- in the I think he's a of- lot better than those players. Sorry, I just got to break it. Robert Woods is so much better than MVS. You just compared Robert Woods to MVS. That is... Yeah, that's so fine. Insulting. He runs crossers. He that runs crossers so off a of play so action. That's fine. No. Oh my god, that's so insulting. No. All right, keep I, I think you can find starting <laughs> wide receivers. The problem is, it's very hard to find number like actual number one wide receivers who impact how defenses adjust their coverages. I think that's. I'm also, I would point out, Justice, like in this latest draft. Um, well, so in recent drafts, you've gotten a lot of uh, better wide receivers in like the second and third rounds randomly. You know, like. Metcalf and AJ Brown and whatever Sears have Chase Claypool fourth round right anyways um but you know that's just it's just random I I I wonder if like what we're seeing is perhaps that it's harder to um, like predict which some of these wide receivers coming from playing with bad quarterbacks or coming from smaller programs which ones will succeed in the NFL like maybe the league isn't as good as evaluating them as they thought. I don't know what the case is with that, but in any case, it's no sure thing that you're going to find a number one, like in this draft, we don't know how it's all going to shake out, but I don't just based on what we've seen out of these guys so far after outside of um, chase. And I think Devonte Smith I'm not sure any of them are true number ones. You know, I like Rashad Bateman. Um, again, we'll see what happens, but there's no, there, there certainly were not that many like big, strong, fast guys, like true X receivers in this draft. Right. And I think one of the biggest issues just from the college to pro transition is just the structure of those offenses and what it forces those defenses to do where yeah. we already, we, we just talked about Eskridge, right? Basically, nothing he did on on at Western Michigan is going to translate to what he does in the NFL. You're just evaluating off of traits. Um, Bateman, to a certain extent, is some of the same stuff. Where you know RPO heavy offense, you're not going to get that down to down in the NFL, and so defenses aren't going to give you those same looks. So you're not really getting NFL reps. You, you know, mm-hmm. you can't compare one to one in those situations where you're just basically evaluating traits. And I think that's when sometimes when players can't make that transition, but they have the traits, that's when you, where you end up seeing the failures. Or the DK Metcalf. <laughs> right. right, exactly. It's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know when they're not yeah. doing NFL things in college and you're drafting these guys to do NFL things, then it kind of becomes random who can be, who actually can be able to adapt to what that play at that position looks like at the next level. All right, man. Well, this was fun. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't want Rodgers in the NFC, but I hope for your <laughs> sake that he doesn't get traded. Uh, and if he does, I will be checking. I'll be refreshing your Twitter uh, furiously, and I encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast to do the same. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, let's say Rodgers retires this year, comes back next year, then we get a Russell Wilson Aaron Rodgers swap. <laughs> Make right. everyone happy. Make everyone a- happy. After the break, we're going to talk about the AFC and the Browns with Mike Ryan. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. 
Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. As promised at the beginning of this show, um, I am joined now by, I don't know if I can call you old friend because I guess, I think it's, I've only been friends with you for like five or six years, but a friend, a real friend, the um, executive producer of the Levitard show, um, previous guest of the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, I think two-time guest, um, noted Browns aficionado. That's what we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about sort of the top of the AFC, AFC in general. Mike Ryan, welcome back. I can't believe I'm back on. This is exciting. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. This feels, this feels scandalous. Um, you did. Were, did you do a AFC North preview with me? Was that the last time you were on? Or yeah, which would, I, I think I did an AFC North preview with you. The year before we got good, but thought we were mm. good. Yeah, so probably some takes on that. Yeah, I haven't been on this podcast for a minute. Well, I haven't been on this podcast since we've actually been good. Yeah, I, and there's a reason for that. But um, <laughs> no, I, 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 going into this week, I so at the top of the show, um, I talked about the Packers for which are sort of newsy, but you know, I was thinking about the AFC and the top of the conference and sort of which teams have had the best off seasons drafts and the idea of going into the Browns, going into a season as a Browns fan, where you're, you're not only a favorite, but I don't think it's a controversial favorite, right? Like there's, you're not going to, 
hear people on first take saying the Browns are overhyped. The Browns don't deserve to be there. You know, yes, food in the playoffs. Yes, okay, yes. maybe first take, but general, but just generally, I, I think that amongst the NFL community, there is a consensus that the Browns are not only a good team and a favorite, and we'll get to our conference rankings, but also a well-run organization to the point where even if things do go wrong and you have bad luck and there's injuries or whatever, Baker regresses, this team, you're talking about them in the same conversation like that you talk about the the Bills now or um, in their own division, the Ravens, teams that you expect them to be good. And that is, as a fan, I just wondered, want to know before we kind of get into the actual team, if that makes you wary or nervous, or if you now have a place of like real confidence. Well, I do think I, I have a, a notch of confidence in that they, they cleared the hurdle of the Pittsburgh Steelers. As you know, having hope is the biggest thing you could root for in a, no, in a we're doing that later. We're doing that. Okay. That was for those who don't know, that was the mayor of Easttown accent, which we'll talk about later at the end of the show. Well, like I was saying about hope, it's nope, a great thing to nope, have. Nope, nipping in the bud. Don't. No one wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear that accent. Okay. I, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Back to the season, though. Um, yeah, uh, there's a sea change in the water um, when it comes to the <laughs> Cleveland one. Browns, and being that they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's um, it's certainly a, a new feeling for uh, for the Cleveland Browns. I um, I don't necessarily think that they're better than the Ravens because I have to see it, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Mm. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be braggadocio when it comes to um, going the Ravens. Full, full humor humor humor. Yeah. <laughs> uh I think the analytics kinda disregarded linebackers too much. And I think maybe Andrew Barry figured that out. And be it it's, it's unfortunate that it took a, a heart ailment to get one of the better linebackers in the draft, but I don't necessarily think Chad Henney's going to be turning the corner on JOK, right? If he's out there healthy. So I, I think we really desperately needed to address issues that we had in the secondary and linebacker. And I think that plays favorably, not just to our general team, but against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who just broke us over his knee with his scrambling ability. Guy didn't even look to throw more than half the time. So I, I still give the Ravens a benefit of the doubt because I, I need to be able to see us clear that hurdle. Same way I kind of needed to see us beat the Steelers because I still kind of have that loser's mentality. But uh, I do get filled with a, a fair amount of hope when I, I hear NFL insiders talk about the Cleveland Browns as if they know what they're doing, that's very new to me, Mina. Yeah, I think that's a – the Ravens and the Browns, I had a lot of trouble um, deciding who I think is going to win the division. I probably won't decide for sure until, you know, August how I feel about it. But I think the Browns undeniably have a better roster top to bottom. However, like just when you're looking at every position, every position group – However, with the Ravens in the past, I'd say, well, they have a better organization, better coaching, better quarterback. I still think they have a better quarterback. But I now look at the Browns and I'm like, actually, Kevin Stefanski is maybe a better coach. Like, I, 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 you know, maybe a better offensive play caller. I definitely think he's a better offensive play caller. And that's that's different. And that's the kind of thing where suddenly when you're comparing these two teams, um, it becomes a lot harder to pick. 
Now you did hit on something that the Browns did that was uh, very deliberate going into this off season. So, so last year the team finished seventh in rushing DVOA, 10th in passing, very good offense, 19th in rushing defense, 17th in pass defense. I actually thought they'd be a little bit lower in pass defense. Frankly, I was kind of surprised to see that. So going into this offseason, everyone knew the Browns are, they have such a clear need. There's really nothing on offense. We can talk about that in a second, except for depth. But this is a team that needs to get better on defense, particularly at linebacker, as you mentioned, and in the secondary. They also, however, and and I think this was kind of underrated at the end of the season, uh, had to address pass rusher because I think Olivier Vernon getting hurt going into the playoffs was sort of like an overlooked storyline. And you saw that with Miles Garrett getting doubled or washed out against Kansas City. So they hit that in a big way. Um, you know, they signed Tack McKinley, who's been okay, obviously didn't live up to his draft status in Atlanta, and then Jadavian Clowney, which I think is a massive sign. Like, I think at this point we are drastically un- underrating Jadavian Clowney as an NFL community because of his injuries over the last two years, but him getting to play next to a top-end edge rusher like he did in Houston and getting to be used as a chess piece and moved inside is tremendous for Cleveland because his upside is much higher than Olivier Vernon's. Well, Clowney can certainly make inroads and in, in sealing off the edge when it comes to mobile quarterbacks within our own division and uh, and certainly make inroads when it comes to the, the running game. Uh, I'm particularly interested in, in the signings of Hill and, and Johnson because um, you seem to know quite a bit about the LA Rams. And when you couple those with Delpit, who knows what kind of player he's going to be. Greedy Williams with that nerve issue, who knows if that's a lost cause. If those players are not necessarily half, but if they're at like 85% of what people assume their ceilings were, all of a sudden you have the depth. And in the AFC North especially, it's a war of attrition, right? The bodies that you're counting on week one um, aren't necessarily going to be there later in the season. So – Good teams build depth, so you could hang your hat on on being able to have a rotation. And look, the Browns, despite making it into the second round of the NFL playoffs, Miles Garrett was not at all himself. Yeah. He was very clearly laboring. COVID really affected him in ways that made me very uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. I know what Miles Garrett looks like um, when he's at full strength. And I mean, he was out on passing downs against Kansas City, Mina and Vernon not being there, having the torn Achilles really killed Cleveland, particularly in that playoff game. They still found a way to bother Patrick Mahomes, even knock him out of the game. But I I couldn't help but in my mind, think about where that season went wrong because you had him. Right. You had Chad Henney there and then he turns the corners on your slow ass linebackers. (laughs) But I, I couldn't help but think what would it have been if Miles Garrett were healthy or if Olivier Vernon were available or we had a safety that, I mean. Well, that I, was, I, a, yeah, the safety. I can't I, remember I really who don't. they were going after. I think there was one, it wasn't, um, what's it, Ronnie Harrison, it was the other one. Yeah, the Redwine was getting way too many snaps and I'm, <laughs> I'm a University of Miami fan, but Sheldrick Redwine is, to me, like a player that's on the bubble. And they're counting on him for for crucial minutes here. And that wasn't necessarily the plan 
entering the season for for Cleveland. So defensively, obviously the defensive coordinator's got to prove himself, and now he's got players, right? The Sheldon Richardson thing is a bit of a bummer. Um, if you look at the sack production, Mina, it seems as though they signed a player in Jadavian Clowney who's lesser than Sheldon Richardson is when it comes to pass rush. So um, I'm a little concerned about if teams can gash us from the interior, given our linebackers aren't necessarily proven. But the main thing that's hanging over this team, I know we're concentrating on defense, is what kind of quarterback is Baker Mayfield with we'll Odell Beckham? Yeah, we'll- I, well, it's just, I, I, I really can't I, – when it comes to the Cleveland Browns, I – it's the biggest mystery to me why Baker Mayfield's a different quarterback. And I know we'll get to it and I know it's the main topic of conversation, but I need to see Baker and Odell clicking for me to really think that I have a a tried and true Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Well, I also, well, might as well get to it now. Well, but yeah, actually let me put a pin in You did touch on the safeties. I do want to talk about that because I'll talk about the Baker. Like I said, offense, everyone kind of set aside with this Browns offseason thought, okay, well, offense is fine. We, as I mentioned, statistically, the offense was much better than the defense. Um, I think my biggest question about the defense is just how do these pieces fit together? Cause as you said, like Joe Woods, you know, hasn't, he's had so many injuries to deal with, especially in the secondary. And then at times miles Garrett, it's just been a question of, okay, well, what happens if he has all these healthy players um, you know, coming from San Francisco, is he a good defensive coordinator? I don't think we know, to be honest. Um, they did add Malik Jackson and, and drafted Tommy Togia, which I thought was a great pick for the value at Ohio State. I love Togies. To, 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 <laughs> Togies. Again, that's a Maribis Town guys reference. I, sorry. Um, I think both of those players have pass rush upside um, at defensive tackle. But like the comp, okay, John Johnson, Troy Hill, really good players with the Rams, we've seen players leave the Rams defense in recent years and struggle elsewhere. Um, Johnson, really smart, versatile safety. um, Probably one of the most underrated players on that Rams defense. Troy Hill can play nickel corner. Greg Newsom draft pick. I loved Um, great zone corner, which we saw him play a lot with Northwestern again, would seem to be a terrific fit, but as you mentioned, we got Greedy Williams. Is he healthy? Grant Gallup coming back. We don't know how all these players play together. Like the Browns right now have a very improved on paper defense. And that sometimes concerns me when we go into, and I know especially Browns fans are kind of triggered by the on paper improvement tag because it has hurt the team in recent years, but everything they did on defense, we like. They need bodies. They need bodies. Yeah. Like if, if Sendejo is playing crucial snaps by week 17, I'm going to walk straight into I think that's who Lake it was, who they were tar- yeah. who's getting targeted a lot down the street. Yeah, it's, they absolutely just need bodies. And while uh, given the free agency signings and the players that are coming back from injury, I was a little confused at the Newsom signing. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm a Browns fan, but I'm also a Miami Hurricanes fan, being that I'm born and raised in Miami. And... I would have liked to have seen Greg Russo there. A lot of people might not have necessarily seen the fit, given that we signed Clowney. But Clowney's a one-year mercenary, right? Uh, I'm I'm planning for the future, and Cleveland, while operating in in pretty decent cap shape for these last few years, next year it's not so great. And I think they needed some of these young edge rushers, given 
the big contract that they're giving Baker and obviously Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb is they got to pay Nick Chubb, I think, even though in this system you could probably afford to maybe not, but that's not going to fly um, in the AFC North. I love what Nick Chubb brings to the table, and I know he he's a great running back regardless, but you can see some of that productivity and obviously see how he excels within the system. But I think that's the kind of player that you need come wintry, wintry mix time uh, in this division. <laughs> um, I do think the you, you talked about kind of taking Newsom over an edge rusher. There is this kind of com- I don't use the word conversation again, sort of line of thinking, um, especially amongst nerds, that smart teams kind of build back to front now. Yeah. Which is, by the way, what what the Ravens did really a couple of years ago. Uh, what New England has historically done, and so you know, it really to me depends on the players that are available and um, whether or not a team like Cleveland thinks that they can, you know, yeah, you're right. Clowney's going to move on. Do they think they so can you're get- a believer? You're a believer in Newsom the second, because I was a little on the fence there given uh, the media I mean, the- Northwestern products. The dude, I think there was like he allowed one catch in the final four games. <laughs> like I would have liked to see him more. We we talked about Tommy Togiai against top tier competition. He only played one half of that Ohio State game, um, which I went back and rewatched. But by like by and large, to me, he seemed like of the cornerbacks available. I, I thought he he belonged in that top tier of corners. There was kind of a we I talked about with Mike Renner on the pod, a group of five at the top. And um, he seemed like a really good system fit for what Cleveland did. Obviously, getting Ozukomo where they where they did was a steal. That's another player, by the way. Like, I ass- the assumption is he's going to play off ball linebacker for Cleveland, but I don't think that we know exactly how he's going to be utilized. He's like Cal Pitts, game. isn't he? He's he's just classified as a defensive weapon, and he picked the confusing jersey number of twenty eight, which I'm going to need years. He picked, 28. Oh. he picked twenty eight. Oh, you picked twenty eight. I take all the praise back. That's horrible. That's <laughs> what do you stand on that jersey rule? I'm kind of like Tom Brady there. Oh, I mean, I'm pro uh, jersey diversity, but I'm anti twenty eight for a linebacker. That's just gross, disgusting. Okay, you talked He's a little bit. About, you talked a little bit about yeah. I, Kyle Pitts is a definitely. I didn't. I, you weren't humor humor until that moment because i think the comp more people are throwing out is isaiah simmons which is a little concerning um you talked about baker's contract let's talk about the offense here full stop do you want to give him the big deal absolutely i think he's proven to be a good quarterback when odell beckham jr isn't on the field (laughs) there's something about odell beckham jr and i think jake burns did a tremendous job on his podcast breaking it down and i ran that data by you and it seems to make sense Odell Beckham Jr. for so many years excelled with Eli Manning on that quick slant with a quarterback that could see over the line of scrimmage and get him the ball quickly. And then Odell would do that spin off his off shoulder and then get all sorts of yak. And Baker can't develop any sort of rhythm with him. He seems to be forcing it. I have no answer for why Odell Beckham Jr. and and Baker Mayfield do not work outside of just being able to get a player like Odell Beckham Jr. in rhythm you would think quarterbacks within this system tend to get better over time. And Baker Mayfield certainly has the arm talent. If you watch that playoff game against Kansas City, I mean, I don't have to tell you, like Baker made some ridiculous throws, some some really 
elite throws that he just casually ripped off there. He seems to be a Pro Bowl quarterback when he has weapons that don't necessarily scream um, elite to you. Like Jarvis Landry, I know he led the NFL in, in catches one year, but Rashad Higgins, Jarvis Landry, these guys are slow. And now he's got Odell Beckham Jr. coming off injury. We'll see what kind of player that he is. That's a little, that's a bit more of a difficult injury than it is for a straight-line speed guy because Odell did so much with the ball in his hands and so many jukes. So I'm curious how long it's going to take him to trust his body. And you have a speed demon like Schwartz, which Baker did find a way to sail a lot of deep balls um, because his arm was almost too big for some of our, air quotes, deep threats on the team. Um <laughs> I like what we're doing with tight ends. Um, I, I think the Hooper contract in retrospect was a mistake. And you could probably look there if this is a team that obviously is going to need to shed cap entering next season. I'm not necessarily sure Austin Hooper is on this team uh, come week one of the regular season, given the, uh, the productivity that they were getting out of that position with um, some smaller contracts. Offensive line seems solidified. Uh, there was rumors that they were shopping Kareem Hunt a little bit, which would make sense because they're going to invest a fair amount of money in Nick Chubb. I, I just don't see how Nick Chubb's not going to get a big deal from this team. I think even knowing the system, and you know Andrew Barry uh, and his MO a little bit better than I do, so maybe he decides to play cheap with a running back given that that system historically, you don't need to pay the running backs to get production, mm. but I think Nick Chubb is just a special talent. Where where are you on this, Mina? I'm paying Nick Chubb. Um, I I think he's either the best running back in the NFL or one of the three best. I also think it depend. I would not give him a contract bigger than say what Aaron Jones got in Green Bay. Um, it, you know, it, it, a lot of these deals, these running back deals, like are really just two year deals. And I think if the Browns can hit on something like that, it would probably be fine. Um, I do want to just, you were very definitive about paying Baker. And I just want to get back to that because. Okay. Because um, you were. Yeah, so go ahead, hit me. Um, we, I know that you have been you've gotten in some tussles about the sort of Baker's only good with play action narrative. Oh, yeah. um, no, I'll name names. Stephen okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, so, it's a bizarre crusade. It's as I, if like play action. Yeah. Well, no, I wanted to get to it. Now. I wanted, so I think that so the, the, this gets brought up sometimes. So, so I'm for those who don't know, the Browns use a lot of – I think they use seventh most play action in the NFL. The NFL, the NFL tends to use a lot of play action now, which is something lost on certain um, yeah. experts. So, um, and, of course, the Kevin Stefanski offense comes from this, you know, Shanahan, wide zone, a lot of play action. They have Blake Baker booting out. They do the things that are smart because they make quarterback slides easier. When Baker uses play action, he is fifth in passer rating, sixth in yards per attempt. Without play action, this is last year, 22nd in passer rating, 23rd in yards per attempt. Now, the response to that, the logical response is, so what? Because 
they continue to use play action and it works. So why do we care that he is good with it? And I think there's a lot of validity to that. I think that some of the um, concern trolling, you might call it, the criticism says, well, in the past, sometimes we've seen that quarterbacks who are, where you do see that sort of delta where they're so much better with it um, when they're put in situations where play action is not an option because of game scenario or, right. um, you right, know, you know but, but they have to create, I, I'm going to finish the, the um, you see them struggling a little bit. I think Baker just to return to him showed actually towards the end of last season that he is able to uh, carry a team when he's not, put in those situations and you know especially I think of the Ravens game that the Browns ultimately lost the famous Lamar Jackson poop game Baker did some crazy stuff down the stretch of that game and um made some really difficult throws so to me though like the question isn't is Baker good without play action it's can he repeat this season to season because I think in the past when you've seen some quarterbacks who have been more shall we say dependent on these Shanahan systems I think with Jared Goff for example a little different it was like oh actually he can't year to year we saw he took this giant leap forward and then the next season became the issue well to me Cleveland has the opportunity to see that with Baker there's not like this huge rush like okay he took this he was great as a rookie he regressed and then he took this leap forward with this good coach in the system, well, you got a whole another season to see if he can keep it going. Um, so I guess with, with the Browns, I feel like why not just wait and see what you got and see if you can repeat this? Well, yeah, I, I you touched on one of the things that I wanted to touch on there when it came to game situation, which is typically when most teams now in the NFL, because play action seems to be pretty popular here in the 21st century, m- most teams – get taken out of their play action when they're in obvious passing downs. And if you look at quarterbacks across the board, obvious passing downs, third and long, their numbers tend to go down. So I think isolating that as a statistic is a bit of a fallacy and it's cherry picking. And, well, it's ra- uh, I ranked him though, with and without, it wasn't just raw numbers. No, I, no, no, no. It's, not, it's not something that you do. I appreciate that. And also there is, there's a whole thing when it comes to Baker, which is, you almost have to set aside his stats with Odell and without. This is a very real thing when it comes to Odell Beckham Jr. It just is. Baker Mayfield has been a really good quarterback, a really good quarterback for approximately half his career. And he's been a not so very good quarterback for half his career. And you can draw a line in the sand and and see the bad numbers. And they always align with Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. Baker Mayfield has been a seller, elite quarterback. Can you imagine what the conversation would be around Baker Mayfield if he was just the quarterback that he was when you extrapolate his stats without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field? It'd be a totally different narrative. You wouldn't have people sort of doing this, this character assassination with him, trying to poke holes in what kind of quarterback he is. I, I'm serious. I'm serious. And I'm not blaming Odell Beckham Jr. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a chemistry thing. And it's incumbent upon... Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, to to figure this out. And I think when you sign an Odell Beckham Jr., Odell is a fully formed product, right? And the crazy thing about Odell Beckham Jr. in this Cleveland Browns offense is he has a skill set that the Browns sorely needed when they got eliminated 
last year. Someone that can abuse one-on-one matchups, someone that can do damage with the ball in his hands, someone that can work in tight windows and, and make something out of nothing. Because Baker Mayfield, if it wasn't checked down to his backs, he was pretty predictable. Um, and, and people were reading his eyes. And I, I will say that he could probably work on the deception aspect of, of quarterbacking. And that'll come with time, too, a little bit. Odell Beckham Jr. is almost a perfect fit. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. Let me ask you this. Do you wish that Cleveland had traded Odell? I mean, it's interesting um, because I, I, I kind of have to take into account what the cap situation looks like next year. And now that Baker's cap number is going to go up and guys like Nick Chubb, their number is going to go up. It's it's in football being a cap sport, it's very difficult to just isolate that one variable and cast it aside because it impacts so many other parts. But given the product on the field, Baker Mayfield's immensely better without Odell Beckham Jr. Why is he better targeting Rashad Higgins? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's one of the great – it's, it's Rashad Higgins and, and – Jarvis Landry is very slow. If you look at Jarvis Landry's combine numbers, now I know he, there's football speed and, and that whole whole deal, but if you look at Jarvis Landry's combine numbers and you look at Richard Higgins, uh, Hollywood Higgins' numbers, that there's nothing really special about them. And then you see the throws that Baker makes to them. It's not like they're getting separation. These are absolute dimes. Odell is a player that gets separation. So why is Baker's accuracy worse when he's targeting a player that is more wide open? I would put it up there with like, why is Julio like not successful in the red zone as one of the great NFL mysteries of the last few years. I, but I, but I'll say this, I think it's a mystery that we should have answered pretty soon. Like there we'll see this season given that, you know, Odell's still on this team and there's some, finally some continuity in coaching. I think we'll, we'll be able to see really Quickly. Can I ask you this? Like uh, Stefanski, I thought Odell's game against the Dallas Cowboys was his best game in a Cleveland Browns uniform. And Stefanski really tried to get creative with getting the ball in Odell Beckham Jr.'s hands outside of just that normal dump off over the line of scrimmage that we saw. So like when I'm wrapping my brain around, how do you get more out of this Odell um, Baker Mayfield combination is it putting Odell in the slot? I'm like, no, because that you shouldn't just have to. That, you shouldn't have to do any of this stuff. Like, you shouldn't have to run jet sweeps with Odell Beckham Jr. Like, that was what the, in that game was where he had the back to back end arounds, right? Or as yeah. I am I? By the yeah. way, that's that's something. Um, Anthony Schwartz. The so for those who don't know, the rounds drafted. Uh, Mike mentioned Schwartz. He's like the super speedy wide receiver out of Auburn. That's something he did there in addition to uh, kickoff returns and punts that I would be not surprised if Cleveland uses him that way early on. But He's faster than Tyreek Hill, they say. 4.2540. Um, but anyways, they should not have to do that with Odell. So I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. But I do think um, I agree with your point about sort of like, okay, if, if the question now for the Browns isn't, can the Browns make the playoffs? We have that answered. It's What's it going to take for the Browns to beat the Chiefs? I agree with you. One, is this good on paper defense? Can they translate? They don't have to be one of the best defenses in the NFL. They just have to be above average. They were below average last year. And then I think the other question is, can Baker and Odell work? Because if they don't work, even if Baker still plays well, it's just not good enough to beat the Chiefs. That's a good transition, by the way, to power ranking the top of the AFC. Um... Can Cleveland overtake Kansas City? 
I alluded to sort of the difficulty I've had choosing between the Browns and the Ravens. And while it may have seemed like, like I had a questioning tone, perhaps even a little negative in our Browns conversation, although I would argue is positive, but you know, I had to push back a little bit. Uh, I have ultimately decided to rank the Browns above the Ravens. So here is my power ranking. I think there's one team that might throw people for a loop. Chiefs at number one, Bills two, Browns three, Ravens four, Chargers five. What say you? I'm with you on the Chargers, although I I guess we all have to see what Staley has to show. And then there's this whole thing looming over the AFC West, right? Because if Aaron Rodgers ends up going to Denver. That's a whole other ranking, yeah. That's a whole other ball of wax. So I'm with you. I go Chiefs, Bills. I will say, though, that the Chiefs, and I know they they made that trade to, to boost the offensive line losses, but that offensive line was obviously less than in the Super Bowl. That wasn't the difference either like Tampa Bay was really hitting their stride they were peaking as they ran into you got the best Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass rush matched up with the very worst pass block from the Kansas City Chiefs that we saw all season and those two met in in the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay but I am worried as Patrick Mahomes gets older and he takes more of these hits and that very I'm just going to say it. it's, it's a weird body for a quarterback. I'm very curious to see how Patrick Mahomes ages. I'm very curious to see how Patrick Mahomes ages. So I think it's going to move slower. His arm's always going to be dynamite, but he he brings that rushing threat or at least brought that rushing threat in years previous. So it was a real problem, but I agree. Kansas City one, Buffalo two. I'm going to still go Ravens three because – there's so many question marks here. Are those Rams players going to be as good? What kind of contributions are you going to get from guys like Greedy Williams and Delpit? And is JOK going to be healthy? Um, can we seal off the edge? Are we going to get torched up the middle? Where is our interior push going to be? So I really need to see it. And then you have, obviously, the thing that we've covered ad nauseum with Baker and Odell, which may just figure itself out because I, I really don't think – Andrew Barry is going to suffer through this for an entire season. The stakes are pretty high for Cleveland right now. And I do think that they'll move on from Odell if after four weeks, it seems like it's not working. So I'll put Cleveland at four and I don't really like Teddy Bridgewater as a quarterback. So, uh, and I don't like what New England did, and I don't buy the Jets, and I certainly don't buy the Miami Dolphins. I think the Miami Dolphins are just going to be a flat line for the next few years um, until they upgraded that quarterback position. So I'm with you. Chargers. Chargers. Yeah, uh, the I'm other with- teams I think people would throw out are the Titans. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. So in- Indianapolis, I mean, I, Carson Wentz, you know, I, I'm going to – We'll see it when we see. They have it. a lot of cap. They have a lot of cap room. So if I were to buy stock in one of those teams, uh, the Carson Wentz thing, it is what it is. They can take this year and figure it out, but then they have a load of cap room the following off season. It seems like Indianapolis always has a load of cap room, though. Well, and- that's yeah, because they're not they're not making these massive investments. I mean, I the Indianapolis still has a question mark at left tackle. That's with the yeah, retirement that's right. of. 
Yeah, everyone a- thought they would draft a tackle, and they drafted Quiddy Pay, who's going to be great, I think. But um, just some questions there. I think you want to know something crazy. I I actually think the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team to watch. I, I think it's. Awesome. I think the I, AFC South is anyone's. Yeah. Obviously, not the Texans, but any of those three teams could win. Yeah, I think it's so nutty, and Urban Meyer is so insane. Forget I, it. It has no saying power. Urban Meyer is going to burn out in two years, but it usually results in some sort of production that is best in program history. And I think Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. Being an ACC college football fan. And if they can shore up that defense, they'll keep the ball away from teams. Let me put it this way. I think everybody agrees with us on the top four. I, I, I would suspect that. Maybe, you know, different orders. I think the five spot is up for debate in the AFC. And the teams you're looking at are the Dolphins, the Pats, the, I guess, Steelers. Some people might. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them there. But the, the Titan, Titans... The Colts, uh, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers. <laughs> like the conference. Whatever. Yeah. My point is this. The Chargers are the best quarterback of all of those teams I mentioned. So I'm going to go with the Chargers. And anyone who disagrees with us can can bite me. So don't bite me. Well, it, well just keep your eyes on the Jags. I think Trevor Lawrence has a Jagged lot of just purple vibes. No, jagging it is not something that you should be saying to a microphone. <laughs> oh, no. What do you mean? <laughs> I All right. You edit that out. We'll edit that out. Well, we don't. Ha- you know what? I'm going to Google it. Hold on. Jagging it. Does that mean that you're just a huge fan of CBS? <laughs> no. <laughs> CBS dramas? Oh, no. All right. Let's take it's a quick Monday, 7 p.m. on USA Network. What is Mina doing? She's jagging it. <laughs> well, speaking of dramas, let's take a quick break and then wrap up with five uh, non-football related questions for our guest. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? All right. First question. We are recording this on Sunday. We have not watched the latest episode of Mayor of Easttown, our new favorite dark, gritty detective drama in a small town. It's certainly dirt. Question is this. Do you think you can do a better Mayor of Easttown accent than me? No. We had that mystery mystery create episode, and we've been exchanging voice notes here in the last three and a half weeks as as we've gotten our mayor on. Um, And by the way, yeah, uh, the way that you say Wawa hoagies is really something that shakes me. It's like, 
it's like I'm a defender and I'm caught up in the air and you're just D Wade pump faking me every time. It's just, it's so good. So I hope that I never have to compare my mirror of Easttown accent with yours because you're elite level right now. I have an institutional advantage, which is I live with someone, I'm married to someone who his entire family sounds like that. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Many of them. Although, oh, I don't know. If I, you, are you guys just going back and forth laughing all well, day? At your it's tough efforts? because we love the show, but he's laughing throughout the entire show. But then he also says the accents are good. I don't understand it. But you, I, I don't know if you heard him on my last voice note uh, disapproving of me saying taco. He's like, well, that's not, you know, not everyone says it that way. And I'm like, I've definitely heard people that you're related to say taco. <laughs> um. Dirter, uh, the murder of my dirter. I, I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, I, I, I watched that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gonna wow and get some hoagies, asshole. <laughs> he act. He also explained to me drawer, like a drawer that you open is a drawer, like yeah. a, like juror almost. Yeah. Like go get the you know my Eagles jersey from my juror. Do they call him a husband? Do you like husband. Nina? You're so good to your husband. Husband, I don't husband. know. Uh, is the show good or I do love I just it. like the accents? It's probably not good. It, it is It is what I wanted the undoing to be, which is like kind of borderline trashy detective yeah. drama. The, my favorite thing about the show is like everybody's so sus. Like yeah. every single person who lives in this town <laughs> is not only related to Kate Winslet, but guilty seeming as yeah. hell. My wife, Cynthia has said like that guy did it to three different people just because <laughs> America's ex-husband, that guy did it. Preacher, that guy did it. It's just the preacher, so many- the preacher is hamming it up though. Like I'm like a little bit put off by how guilty seeming he acts in every situation. <laughs> like tone yeah. it down, man. Yeah. I yeah it it really says a lot about modern day um well, let me stop there. But the fact that he's wearing a collar and we're like, he did it is problematic. No, no, no. It's his behavior. The other preacher's fine. Well, Mayor, even Mayor is like speaking it out in the open. He's like, you know what's going on. And every it's it goes unsaid, even though Mayor says just like two words of it. Right. You know, given everything that's going on and everyone's like, oh, yeah, well. Her boyfriend, that guy did it. Yeah. The new cop, that guy did it. Every single yeah. person. The dad. I, I will say in the last episode three, it really took a turn that I didn't expect. Also, this show leads the world in facial bone structure. It's crazy. Everyone's got cheekbones that are just. Uh, Guy Pierce. Oh, Guy Pierce, the police chief. Are you kidding me? The police chief. Yeah. 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 He's molded out of clay. He's molded out of clay. Everyone's got. That's. Maybe the only part of the show that's unrealistic for Delco. (laughs) Um, Okay. Second question. Um, I just tweeted out liking the new Ice Age album. Didn't get a lot of engagement. That's cool. You're a big, big music guy. Any album recommendations? Uh, Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, Let me just go to my playlist though. And my best of 2021. Just one's fine. Just one's fine. I should have phrased that differently. Can you give us an album recommendation? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like everything Neil Francis 
does and anything Canons does. I've gotten really into Canons, and I don't know if Canons is putting out anything new this year. I know that they released one new single, but those are bands that I really like. Also, you're catching me in a real weird dark wave phase, so I'm not really listening to anything new now. I'm just like almost exclusively vampy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Goes well with yeah. Mayor of Easttown vibes. I yeah. Think. Now that I'm fully vaccinated, I fully expect Blade to just kill everybody that's with me <laughs> when I'm listening to music. Um, you mentioned SNL, last, the Mayor of Easttown spoof. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers recently hosted Jeopardy. If you had to pick one quarterback to guest host SNL, not who, and let me be specific, not who'd be the best at it. Just someone you'd want to see do it. Oh. So you can, for entertainment value, whatever you wish. Wow. Those are two totally different things because I I do think, yeah, Baker would knock it out the park. Oh my God. Our finest living athlete actor, Baker Mayfield. Forget what you think about play action and non-play action. His prowess in those commercials is undeniable. Yeah. But would it be funnier to watch, say, Andy Dalton do in 90 no. minutes worth of sketch yeah. comedy. No, what, I just watched I 90 that, minutes of Elon Musk and I don't want to watch like a non, like I, I'm not here for careful. Friends. He has Asperger's though. He revealed that to the world. Nobody knew that beforehand. Did you know that? That nobody I, knew that he had Asperger's? I didn't, but it was, I saw that it was uh controversial because he, he said he was the first and I guess Dan Aykroyd has Asperger's, which I also didn't know. Anyways, a lot of revelations. Wow. There was right a now. lot of Asperger's outing. Let me just say that. Um, I would like to see Ben Roethlisberger host <laughs> SNL. Oh, man. Um, that's a good one. That's a really yeah. good one. As long as the writers have free reign. Um, Philip Rivers is my answer. He's not active. That's not fair. Fudge. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, second choice. I think that's a great choice. But second choice to Philip Rivers... Kirk Cousins would be really amusing to me personally. <laughs> Kirk Cousins would be really good. Yeah. But Baker would do it the best. I think Baker, be I think thank God this isn't just like a Browns home or take a mine. Those commercials are legitimately oh, good. And everyone, no. I'm so everyone happy agrees. that Baker ended up being good because everyone was complaining about the progressive thing and it was just so annoying. I'm like, the take it for the art that it is. Yeah. They're great. They, they also hit so differently coming off of like a 350 yard three touchdown performance. Then the commercial comes on and you're like, yeah, that guy. Whereas when the Browns were bad, I think it, the experience of watching them was different. Not for um, true artistic critics like myself who can separate the art from the artist and whatnot. But for America, I think America rallied behind Baker, the actor once the team started winning. And for that, you I'm grateful to. because his skill you is also- incredible. Yeah. You also have to go to the top of the fame uh, charts, though, because the Peyton Manning SNL still endures, right? We, we still share that sketch. If Brady were to ever do SNL, if he breathes on somebody, it would be like a big deal. Eli still has my favorite SNL sketch of all time. The courtroom, yeah. you up, is, yeah. again, yeah. it's classic Eli because like, even though he's not a better quarterback than Peyton or Brady or whatever, he still has like – these these moments that are more memorable to me. All right, uh, question four. Um, taking it a little bit more serious for a second. Um, you are the only living producer in America with 
five number one sports podcasts. I you tweeted this. I'm trying to do it from memory, but um, six if we include the Mina Kimes featuring Lenny podcast, which was associated, uh, but you, I haven't. You didn't, you didn't produce it, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's, I had, a piece, I had. what's a piece of advice that you would give to aspiring producers in this space? Oh boy, because you're both talent um, and producer, but focusing on the producing side. Yeah, I would say um, put the work in and listen to where the industry is going and where where the industry is going. Uh, <laughs> it stays with you, the mirror of you. of the art and the artist, yeah. It is like when I watch um, Love Island UK while exercising, afterwards for like <laughs> probably 45 minutes, I talk in a Manchester accent. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird workout show. It's, um, it's actually a really good workout show. Uh I would say listen to the uh, the voices that are emerging, the young voices in particular, because in 10 years, those are going to be fully formed products and you've been championing them. Try to, try to latch on to those voices as early as you can and develop your relationships because the best way to grow podcasts is by going on other popular podcasts and other emerging podcasts. So I don't think necessarily think the the industry has caught on to that. I think that's the best sort of marketing strategy that you can have if you're an upstart podcast is go on as many other podcasts as possible and just get the messaging out, follow the podcast feed and um, put in the work and in due time over a couple of years, I think you'll see the fruits of your labor. Final question, as always, come from comes from Lenny. By the way, I'm amazed with the facility with which you say the word podcasts, which I always struggle with on ad reads, the plural podcasts. I can say podcast when you hit the T at the end, but I hate saying podcasts, 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 podcasts. Podcasts. Podcasts at Wawa. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one's actually pretty easy. Um, Lenny wants to know if after the heat inevitably lose in the first round, you'll join us in rooting for the Nets. Uh, Against the Sixers, you're gonna have to climb. Yeah. Welcome to Nets world, baby. Yeah, I'll, I'll root for the Nets over the Sixers, no yes. doubt. I hate the Sixers. Yes. Um, watch out for the Bucks, though. Yeah, the Bucks, I think, are a problem. Um, I, I hate the Philadelphia 76ers. You don't believe in the heat, huh? They seem to be hitting their stride. Nets in five. <laughs> it doesn't matter against two. Nets in five. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.